0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the waiver wire, some of the guys that have gotten released due to buyouts, and if any are intriguing to Oklahoma City in regards to that prized two-way spot. I'm also going to be talking about Darius Baisley and his recent breakthrough And I also want to cover the tank race that is currently going on. And to top things off, you guys, I'm going to be giving you a special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting the day out with the waiver wire. If you guys have not already listened to my podcast from yesterday, I talked about Four members of the Oklahoma City Blue, in addition to Mamadi Diakite, as people that could be in the two-way contract race. As we've seen in the last week, Lindy Waters took Paul Watson Jr.'s two-way spot, and because of the recent contract upgrade of Aaron Wiggins... The Oklahoma City Thunder have an open two-way deal. And with them rebuilding, with them being second to last in the conference, you would imagine they're looking to utilize that spot to its fullest, get someone that I don't know if they'd play, but they'd want to develop and put a microscope under. So there is some serious stock in this. Whoever does get that two-way, as we've seen, guys like Deontay Burton, Lou Dort. Uh, Moses Brown and, and now Aaron Wiggins they've all gotten four year contracts as a result of their play under the two-way contracts. so always got to keep an eye out same went with Lindy when he got his now he's under a microscope and we'll see who that second man is But I want to break down some of the waiver wire guys that we've seen in the last two days. Now, this is not the full list. There are some players who are, you know, on the back end of like their 20s. They're 28, 29 years old. Chances are they're not going to get signed by the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I just wanted to keep it to players that are at least intriguing to the Oklahoma City Thunder or have some relation to the team. And Armani Brooks from the Houston Rockets, Got off the waiver list yesterday. He came from the Houston Rockets. He is a sharpshooter. He got himself from a two-way contract into an upgrade earlier with the Houston Rockets, and he did it because of his G League play. This dude could shoot from anywhere on the floor. He's been able to translate that with the Houston Rockets. It's not like he hasn't been playing. He's been out there, and he shot 38.2% From distance, so he's a solidified catch and shoot piece. Even on the ball, he has some skills. However, he's 23 years old and he's also six foot three, so he's in a weird spot. If Oklahoma City would really want to pursue him, they just picked up Lindy Waters. Anyways, they still have SGA, they have Giddy, Trey, Man, Teo, and Ty. That's five, and if you count Lindy, six people that I would say would be ahead of him in the depth chart, and that would not work in Armani's favor. So I'd probably X him off the list. Is he an intriguing prospect? I believe so, but probably not in an Oklahoma City Thunder uniform. The next man I want to talk about is Moses Brown from the Dallas Mavericks. Remember a year ago when Oklahoma City packaged Moses Brown, Al Horford, and to get a first round pick and what led to the Sengun trade. Everyone was a little bit salty about that move. Uh, At least a good portion of the Thunder fan base happened to be. And a portion of the Celtics franchise thought like, hey, you know, Moses Brown is going to be worth that first round pick anyways. Turns out the Celtics just used him. They traded him again to get Josh Richardson. And uh, it really hasn't worked out really across the board with it and the Dallas Mavericks had to waive him in order to collect Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie a couple days ago so he hits the wire as a 22 year old 7 foot 2 freak athlete you know my stance on the man I'm pretty high on him Uh, you know last season you have to look at the situation there was no true center Moses Brown comes in off the upgrade and He's getting all the center minutes. He's getting a lot of attention around the baskets, and he was able to produce 8.6 points and 8.9 rebounds. Man was dropping stat lines at 20 points, 15 rebounds, and 5 blocks against the Chicago Bulls. Laurie Markinen looked like Muggsy Bogues out there when they were playing. So he was able to dominate at the NBA level with OKC last year. The circumstances were different in Dallas. They already had guys like Maxi Kleba, Chris Stops when he was playing. So he didn't have the light of day. Was he playing? Yes, but definitely not to the same sample size. And because of it, he was averaging 3.1 points and 2.3 boards for the Mavs. So yeah, the stats on paper aren't great. I still think there's a little bit left with him. Like, it's really a split house in terms of people covering the Thunder on how moses brown is as a player a lot of people just see him as a flash in the pan the only reason he was good was because of okc's lack of talent at the end of last year someone had to get those points someone had to get those rebounds just came along with moses brown i wouldn't necessarily say that was a fluke though i still think that you could find him as an energy guy on somebody's bench i thought it'd be dallas they didn't keep him i'm surprised nobody took a jab at him On the waivers because I believe it's non-guaranteed somewhere for years three and four so I'm a little bit surprised I do think that based off of the frame though and his ability to leap it puts him on the map at least to some extent I know with the Texas Legends he's been performing to the standards he did last year with the Oklahoma City Blue you're talking double doubles every single game three four blocks and just playing goddamn wall ball against the backboard because it's just that easy for the man you know he's seven two played against six foot eight guys uh but yeah like his play inside three feet is still at an nba level i think in terms of boxing out and snagging rebounds he's pretty high up there and then just those succession second chance points you're not going to find uh crazy guys like that in the free agency markets and you're not going to find guys like that in the g-league really outside of a guy like Moses Brown right now. I don't look at any G League players this year uh, at the center spot in the same light as it did last year. I think the majority of those top-tier guys got inked. That's Omer Yurtseven. that's Tyler Cook, Dante Hall, I'm pretty sure is overseas on a really good deal now. And Moses Brown was obviously in that bunch as well. Uh, I'd say maybe like Paris Bass would be a decent center currently in the G but he's more of like a four of a five four and five but he's not seven foot two he's still a small ball um, and you know other guys that you might have found last year such as Nick Richards I think the Hornets have some connection with them so the market's depleted at the five spots maybe Moses Brown would be your best bet I still think even though he was good last year and I would like to see a little bit more of him just being a little selfish mamadi diakite is above him in that pecking order mamadi was a monster last year with lakeland he didn't do bad with the bucks and he definitely didn't do bad with okc in his three 10-day contracts so i'd still say mamadi's there and with moses even though he'd be an intriguing guy to pick up again due to regulations around the league i don't know if it's every single transaction that happens but i know if you trade somebody you're not allowed to sign them as a free agent. In, in like a year time so technically it's not been a year yet i don't know if it's off of the first trade that happens or the most recent or, or how it is but i would think that the thunder are probably out of the pack anyways with with moses brown but definitely an intriguing guy if you're looking for an around the basket big someone can get you those rebounds only issue i see Dude cannot shoot the basketball and off of pick and roll defense, he's given up floaters any day of the week. So that was a major problem. Could probably still get exploited if he were to rejoin Oklahoma City's crew. Next guy I want to talk about Jameis Ramsey from the Sacramento Kings. And the Kings actually waived two different guys in order to make their moves. They got rid of Ramsey and they also got rid of Robert Woodard, six foot five, small forward, power forward. I'm going to bet that the Thunder aren't interested. He's still fairly young. He's under 25 years old. But I think if you're looking at either of those two, Ramsey is the clear-cut number one, former number 40 pick in the NBA draft. And he's only 20 years old, so he is still one of those people you can pan out. Uh, Tyrell Terry was sort of in this same crew where early second-round pick, didn't have a lot of chances in the NBA, and has shown potential Grizzlies swapped him uh, up on a Exhibit 10, then they moved him to a two-way deal, and they've been rocking and rolling with him. Maybe Ramsey's another comeback story that you could find. Played for Texas Tech, so he's defensive-oriented, but he's also a nice shot creator as well. He hasn't played a ton with the Kings, and they haven't done a nice job really assigning him when he was under wraps with them. But he did play eight games with the Stockton Kings this year. In that time, he was averaging 19 points and two and a half assists. 20 of 40 from downtown. That's a clean cut, 50%. And he was shooting around 57% in all during that octet of performances. So maybe you could find some gold here. It's kind of similar to Armani Brooks, though, where you almost have too many point guards that if you get Ramsey. It might be a waste of one. I think the most realistic option is the Thunder uh, swing on another 3-and-D piece or go straight front court because they could use a center again. Um, but we'll we'll see. I mean, they threw the curveball with Lindy, so I'm sure they could throw another one uh, at any given no, uh, moment. But those are the top three that I have etched in here. There were two others. I mentioned Woodard. Abdel Nader actually got waived by the Phoenix Suns whenever they were picking up their sharpshooters for... Cash considerations, conditional seconds, just bolstering that bench up, and Nader happened to be the odd man out. He just didn't get to play much uh, over the season, so it does make sense why he would be the guy who gets waived. Still probably an NBA talent. I think he's right on the cusp. That's where he was when he joined the Thunder uh, from the Celtics trade, and he, he worked himself up into a second contract, I think when he got flipped with Chris Paul. Everyone knew he's a bit of a sweetener, and he was good last year. Just the rotation has gotten so full. The Suns are looking to contend, and he had to be the odd man out. Luckily for him, if the Suns do go part of the course and they win the title, he'll be able to take home an NBA championship ring. And for the Los Angeles Rams, yesterday, they were able to do so. Amazing work by Aaron Donald. That final drive with Stafford and Cooper Cup. Was pretty ridiculous. Uh, I was playing fantasy football last, or I guess this season. And I kept matching up against Cooper Cup. Man was dropping 30 points, 35 points. I could never defeat the guy because he had Cooper Cup. Ended up costing me in the playoffs. And it ended up costing the Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs as well. So hats off to the LA Rams. For Cincy, that was still a hell of an effort. You know, the Joe Burrow pass on fourth down when it looked like it was an easy wrap up. Uh, Put a real scare in there, and it would have been a magical moment had that pass been converted. Uh, But just no dice. Still a young guy, so I'm sure they'll be back. Uh, But wow, that was a good game. Good halftime performance. Couldn't ask for much else. And from DraftKings Sportsbook, couldn't really ask for much else either. They have a very special deal going on for you Hoops fans. They are the official sports betting partner of the NBA, and with it, They're going to be allowing you guys to get a free shot at $150. You bet $1 on any NBA game and you get $150 if you are correct on your guess. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Must put down a minimum of a $5 deposit. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, moving on to the Thunder Stage. I was talking about some hypothetical guys they could pick off the waiver wire. I think now we're up to eight potential contenders on the list. But I want to talk about somebody set in stone on the roster right now. And that is Darius Baisley. Going into the season, Darius Baisley had some high expectations. You know, going off of a flaky second year, he's entering his third year, looking at that potential future contract. He needed to ball out and you know, to start the season. It was very rocky for him. He ends up losing the starting gig, really deservingly so. I mean, he wasn't overly impressive to begin the season. The inconsistencies were evident with him, and there were just some better options on the table for Mark Dagnall, so they plugged him out, and then they plugged him right back in last month, and he has been up and running. And it started out with the bench, but now he's back to playing in the starting units, and he has been crushing it in the month of February. When you break down the averages, he's averaging 14.1 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 1.7 assists in February while shooting 35.7% from distance. That ties his best on the season. As for the other three stats, best month of the season in all three of those categories. And to top it all off, defensively he's been playing out of his mind 1.6 steals per game and 1.1 blocks per game every single game in the month of february darius Baisley has logged a steal and he's had two three block performances this year or in this month so he's really been all over the place and i wanted to kind of do a deep dive on why that is with bays because you know, it's always a matter with him, like he ends up shooting too many shots or the efficiency is not there. He's able to harvest the stats, but it's going to come in inefficient platters. It really hasn't been that way this month. Uh, And just going off of seeing how that is, it's kind of hard to pick it apart. Actually, it turns into an enigma of some sorts you're starting to see a little bit more drives from bays Granted, he's actually been playing above 30 minutes in this month due to him being in the starting rotation, but he's gone from 5.1 drives on average to taking 6.3 per game. In terms of the catch and shoot, he's been way better on the regular season. He started the month below 30%. Right now, he's sitting at 30.9% on just below three attempts per game, and currently, He's shooting at 34.6% on 3.7 attempts per game. So he's actually shooting a little bit better on face-up threes where it's not coming assisted off of the catch-and-shoot. So you see a little bit of difference right there. I think the biggest area that I was looking at uh, was actually the shooting ranges. With Basley off the catch, he has been a beast from downtown. And I'm talking way downtown Shooting 38.5% from 20 feet to 24 feet back. And then he's going 40% from shots taken 25 to 29 feet back. And he's averaging two per game. So he's looking to go limitless here. And it has been working out for him. And due to that, he's been able to tap into the third level. This is something that I've harped about. For the last two seasons like if Bayes is going to become a legit contributor on the offensive side he needs to start hitting threes once you start seeing defenders go a little bit more close up on him then he can get that extra step he's six foot eight pretty damn athletic for the four so he can get that angle and he's been able to do that slicing inside to average four free throw attempts per game Prior to February, his best monthly total was 2.7, and then I think it dropped down to 2.2, and the rest were in the one point somethings. So he has damn near doubled his output around there. It just comes from the physicality. We've seen the sediments just growing and growing throughout the year. Specifically, last month, the transition play from him you saw the hard gathers and you saw the sidesteps coming to fruition. He's kept that in his bag, but now he's driving in from point A to point B. He's looking to absorb those hits and he's starting to get those foul calls again, which has allowed him to average a little bit above 14 points per game on a better clip than what we have become accustomed to. So great stuff on the offensive side, but you still got to look at the defensive play. He's arguably been OKC's best defender in the month with the most steals and the most blocks on the team. He's leading the Thunder in blocks and and averaging 1.1 a game, he's still holding pretty damn firm. Just came off of a three-block performance to start out February. He had another three-block performance, so it all comes in bunches, and those blocks really lead to offensive plays. His energy, defensively, can really turn him uh, into the offensive player he's supposed to be. It's weird how it works out for him, but that's kind of the patterns you're starting to see. Now, one of the things with Baisley that i think derailed him earlier in the season was he was almost too energetic and with the ball in his hands that's where you saw it just taking poor quality shots looking to take 10 12 per game when they were not open or they were force-fed shots and he's kind of leaned off of it a little bit i'm not going to say he's out of the dark just yet because he just finished his last game shooting 21 shots and to my knowledge I believe that's the most he's shot in a game, and yes, it is. That is the most shots he's taken in a game, and he made seven of them. So he's taken a, just whole parfait of shots, hoping some of them go in. Shot one of five from distance, and he got 17 points and eight rebounds. So on the surface, that's a really good game. Efficiency-wise, clearly that paints a different picture on how he was able to perform. Uh, but, you know, when you kind of linger down like the... 8, 9, 10 shots, that's when he gets more in that range and, and where you would like to see him. So he's got himself back into the starting caliber with the averages he's placed. He's had Poku on the rear view. Uh, now he's averaging, I believe, 14 points per game this month since he's gotten recalled, and he's looked great as well. But I don't think you move him above Darius Baisley just yet. Poku is a lot more inconsistent than Baze, and both of them are really far from being uh, consistent guys, you know, so both, both have a long way to go. I will say with Bays, this is probably the best patch we've seen, um, maybe in his career to this point. I know he's strung up some efforts where it goes three, four games, but with him dropping double figures and five straight with him having a steal every game of the month, I mean, he's doing it on both ends of the basketball and it's really giving you some breathing room at the four when typically the front court is where they get torched. And that's, ultimately how they end up losing some of these ball games so once you get favors back once you get jre back hopefully it gives a bit more cushion they don't have that true five so you know you really can't say like it's gonna get much better uh when there's guys like vucevic playing up against you but you know when they're facing the traditional lineups for the center isn't really crazy Baze is going to be able to help you out there, and he's even shown some ability to play against the threes during his recent tenure. So he's been doing great, and I think a lot of these guys have been doing fairly solid without SGA in the conversation. And with SGA out of the conversation, Oklahoma City has started a free fall again in terms of lottery standings. They're currently 17-39 and on a five-game losing streak. But I want to paint a picture on the entire tank race. It's the first time I've done this this season. Last year, I tried making it a weekly segment just because there's a lot of different things uh, that tend to go on here. But I want to start this list at number nine with the Portland Trail Blazers. It's a close gap. It's gotten a little bit more separation, surprisingly. There's a five and a half game difference between OKC at four and and number nine with the Portland Trailblazers. So they're 23 and 34. They've won two games in a row, and they've done it off the back of Anthony Simons, surprisingly. Simons has been a a really pleasant surprise for Portland. Like He's coming out of high school, prep school, no college routes, I liked him. You know, he he was an athletic, bouncy shot creator, but he was very raw. And they were able to get him those repetitions during regular season play, his first two seasons, to where with CJ gone and with Dame out, they're letting him spread his wings, take as many shots as he wants to, and he's leading them to victories. He's dropped 30 points, 29 points, and 19 points in their last three games, and he was one of the pivotal factors and why the Lakers ended up losing, and why we got such a historical Twitter spaces earlier in the week, but Simons is at the helm right now, their next three games, see them against the Bucks, the Grizz, and the Warriors, so I think in my better judgment, I'll say they lose all three of those, that put them in a better spot for the tanking race, and it might throw them right back in the conversation, because with two wins, it kind of gets you out of the pack a, a lot uh, as of right now and that's because it's so close right behind them happens to be the Pelicans who owe this pick to Portland if it's not one through four protected they're 22 and 34 they just got CJ they've lost two in a row but he just dropped a 36 piece and they still have Brandon Ingram and Jonas Chunis around that's a good roster And with the Raps, the Mavs, uh, and the Grizzlies being their next three, I would assume they take one of those. I think the Raptors or the Mavs are both going to be close ones because the Mavs are still looking to figure things out after the Porzingis trade, and the Raptors are a good team, but I think the Pelicans actually match up fairly well. So I'll say they go one and two, and they might change spots. With the Portland Trailblazers. And with number seven at the San Antonio Spurs, I think they could flip the script too. You know, they get DeJounte just being named an all-star, come off a trade week where they get rid of Derek White, they get Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford, among others. And they have a really good schedule, actually. Their next three: Chicago, OKC, and Washington. The Spurs are a team that can really beat anybody, just given their roster construction. Jakob Pertl has coming to his own as well. Keldon Johnson's been very nice. Devin Vassell has been stepping up to his game. I'd imagine they probably go 2-1 and one, um, with this next course. I think OKC is one where they'd probably end up taking it, and then Washington as well. Chicago, if they're out of Zach Levine, which looks like he'll be out uh, for a great span of time maybe you snag that one as well. If Pirtle's able to clamp up Vucevic, I'd probably actually give them a little bit of an edge there. Now, DeMar DeRozan has been a monster, uh, but I still think that's a toss-up where it is going to go really, really close. Anyways, I see them kind of falling back in terms of reverse standings, and with Sacramento, might be the same exact story. Sabonis, Fox and Barnes have looked really good together. Their next three games have them against the Brooklyn Nets, the Bulls, and the Nuggets. That's a tough slate of games. I think, you know, Brooklyn should have Simmons around for this next game. If they don't, that's still a pretty good team on paper for Brooklyn. So I still think the Nets win with Chicago. Kind of the same deal as San Antonio. You really can't tell at this current point. And with the Nuggets, I think the Sabonis Jokic matchup would be amazing. Probably side with Denver. But yeah, the Bulls have kind of become a wild card as of right now because of Sabonis now being there. And you still have Fox and Harrison Barnes, who's been playing really well, actually. I could see them taking one. And for the Indiana Pacers, um, they're right behind the Sacramento Kings. They've got some fresh faces. In particular, you got Tyrese Halliburton, and they're only a game behind OKC. They are 19-39 right now, three-game gap between five and six, so that's kind of where you get that major wall off. But Tyrese Halliburton has been playing really well since joining Indiana. He's been averaging a double-double, just came off of a 16-assist game. Their week is pretty minimal. They're only playing two games Milwaukee and Washington are the two that you got upcoming. I keep throwing Washington on their bus, man. I I just, I don't know. They're kind of always the team where, yeah, they end up playing well, but it's never a knockout punch, you know? Like, they'll keep you in uh, for all 48. So I think it's still a split. And with the Thunder right next to them with four games behind, the Detroit Pistons, they've been doing good too. I think even though they've lost five in a row, they've been winning or leading in a lot of these games. The 76ers had a throw in Joel Embiid. You had the Chicago Bulls Klein for dear life for the victory uh, just two nights ago. And they got a New York Knicks team that's not overly impressive right now. So you could end up taking that game. The Spurs are upcoming. And then you have the Suns. I think those probably chalk his losses. But maybe you defeat the New York Knicks And then it gets very crazy leading into All-Star Weekend with the Indiana Pacers and that little fight you got going on. The Houston Rockets, they've been able to create a bit of a wall too with OKC. It is a three and a half game deal with them. So I guess technically speaking, they're one and a half games away from the Thunder. Uh, And they've been losing pretty consistently. They've lost four in a row. They've got the Jazz, Suns, Clippers, and Magic upcoming. I think they lose the first three for sure. But this Magic game, it's going to get played on the 24th, I believe. That's one you want to mark on your calendar. It should have some fireworks, and it will have a lot of implications. So this will be a tank battle for the ages. And with the Orlando Magic tied for first place right now, they also want to be losing some games. They've lost two straights. They've got the Nuggets, Hawks, and then the Rockets. Still think they go into this Rockets game uh, building their losing streak to four. Uh, and then we'll get to see the Franz Wagner show, Jalen Suggs, maybe Admiral Schofield out there. And uh, yeah, if you're going to the game, might be some cheap tickets. Could be balling on a budget to see the battle of two out of the three worst teams in the NBA. And tied for the worst at the top of the board happens to be the Detroit Pistons. They've lost seven in a row and they've lost their last three games by an average of 25.6 points per game. Got the Wiz, Celtics, and Cavs. Probably lose all three of them. Think they'll stay afloat at that seed, uh, at number one in reverse standings, really. So, OKC, I think they'll probably hang at number four going into All Star weekend. And you have to watch the pivotal swing game between Orlando and the Houston Rockets. So let's say the season ends right now. You got the Thunder picking at number 30 due to the Suns pick. This came from the CP3 deal. 1 through 12 protections. The Phoenix Suns are at a league best 46 and 10 right now. Only need to win about six games to make it a foregone conclusion. They'll be at 15 or higher, meaning it goes to OKC. No lottery shenanigans. And they'll they'll be in the playoffs, you know. So it's not a toss up. It's just a matter of placements and that that'll be good i mean you load up with another draft pick might use it as ammo for a trade-up or you could just straight up take it because there have uh, been some very valuable guys in the back end of the first round these last couple of years and then you have a mid first round pick with the los angeles clippers at number 15 currently and this is unprotected so if it's number one it's going to okc they just lost out on norman powell trade for him and then he gets an injury it's a bone fracture in his left foot no timetable to return clippers fans were very voiceful about this on twitter when it happened um uh, but yeah they aren't happy obviously it sucks for powell sucks for the clippers organization they have to run a lineup kind of similar to what they had prior to the trade deadline which revolved around Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, and even Luke Kennard to some degree. And it's been getting them victories. Like, even other role players, such as Nick Batum, have been bawling the crap out. So, they're able to take games, even without some superstars. I think they hang around the mid-first, kind of like the 15 to 19 range, I'd say, until you get Paul George back. And then they'll probably be back up, looking to contend for the sixth seed or higher. So they got a tough break with Norman Powell, hope he recovers well. In the meantime, uh, it's become very interesting what has happened with the LA Clippers rotation yet again. And then you have the Thunder pick sitting at number 4 in odds right now, have a 48.1% chance of landing in that top 4 and a 12.5% cuts at the number 1 selection. Worst that they'd be able to do with this draft pick would be pick number 8 odds of it are very slim so uh, don't worry about it and really no need to worry about the tank race until probably the last month just kind of wanted to keep you guys posted on that and i'll be keeping you guys posted tomorrow for the conclusion of the new york's knicks game see how that one ends up shaking up the knicks haven't been doing all that well they're actually 10th in reverse standings and then oklahoma city as we know have lost five consecutive contest so i'll get you coverage on that game tell you about the stars and get you guys prepped for all star weekend as we approach that but other than that though guys that is going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya